Hello and welcome to the first edition of our brand new fortnightly Q&A series. When recording our main series, we really enjoyed hearing from you all, so we wanted to do some more of it. In this series, we'll be taking your questions and between two of us, we'll go through and answer them one by one. Uh, this week, I'm your host, Harley Thorne. I'm joined by Gascast's very own, Oli Nino. Ollie, in good spirits after the opening day loss? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it was a disappointing start to the season, but uh, not exactly unsurprising given our absolutely horrific opening day record over the last 10 years or so. Uh, and, I mean, to be honest, I always thought on paper it looked like quite a tough first game for us. Uh, you know, they're obviously a club with a real good feel factor around them at the moment, and they've got a experienced high quality manager at this level in Simon Grace and then on paper they've made quite a few uh, exciting signings I would say so I was expecting nothing more than we got which was obviously a big fat zero points Um, so yeah hopefully better things to come in the next couple of games. Now there's always a risk when you do a Q&A and ask for questions to be sent in that you're going to get some silly ones. on face of it, on the face of it, you might think that this question is silly, uh, but there's more to it. Um, so Pierre sent in, "Do you like melons?" Um, <laughs> and what I believe that he is getting at might be something to do with fruit, and might therefore also be something to do with the market. Um, I mean, wh- where did that come from, Ollie? There's a there's a lot surrounding the club at the moment that you didn't expect a week ago. Yeah, it was a bit of a bombshell, that one, wasn't it? Um, yeah, really out of the blue. I mean, I guess there had been a few rumours on uh, on forums and Twitter and that about this fruit market stuff, but I thought it was just another sort of nonsense rumour that was going around. But for, for a while to come out and actually sort of confirm that we're really interested in this site for a potential new ground was, yeah, a massive shock, I think, for all of us. Um, so exciting but as always as a gas said when there's you know this sort of stuff going around about a potential new stadium it's really difficult to get too excited because we've been let down with these things so many times so um but i mean i'm optimistic because i kind of feared that after ue fell through uh the current owners had sort of given up in a way uh looking at ways to take our club forward and we're just looking to sell it off. Um, and, you know, that may still happen, but it sounds from what Wilde said that uh, the club is still seriously pursuing uh, potential new stadium sites, which has got to be a good thing for us, isn't it, really? Absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, I remember discussing with you when the UE was announced. I remember waking up and seeing the news that morning. And I remember pretty much running around my living room thinking it's happening. You know, we're going to we're going to seriously be able to challenge now. And here we are, UE Stadium completely fallen through. And although, like you touched upon just then, you it's the hope that kills you and you don't want to get carried away, I'm assuming, like me, you have got carried away. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm already imagining being sat in that seat in the Fruit Market Stadium. Uh, oh, yeah, watching, absolutely. You know, some much better players than we currently have running around in the quarters. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in my head, I'm there fully. But... Uh, there is, I mean, you just can cannot let yourself get too too excited because we do get let down so many times. And also, it's very early days. You know, we still 
haven't even got this bit of land and then a major is it a major stakeholder a major shareholder of that site this fruit market site has already come out today and uh pretty much said that he has no idea what wild's on about in in other <laughs> in, in um similar words to that effect anyway so i mean i was excited for you know 24 hours 48 hours and now this guy comes and shits all over it to be honest so i'm already sort of brought back down to earth with a crash um but i mean i do find it interesting that while even came out and sort of committed himself to this because we all know how cagey he is and how cautious and how you know he doesn't he doesn't like to come out and name sites or give any specifics really when talking about this sort of thing. So for him to, it wasn't like he was pressed by Jeff Twentyman. I don't know if you actually listened to the interview, but it was very much a sort of generic, you know, what's going on in terms of getting a new ground question. And Wilde just named the fruit market site out of nowhere, really. So the fact he actually did that, which is really against his, you know, usual operating mode, I would say, was interesting and makes me think that um, I don't know. There's there's something going on there. It almost felt quite strategic, really, to mention it at this at this time and in that way. Yeah, almost like um, you know, it kind of makes me think. Is there another site? I'm not saying Yui because I'm sick of thinking of Yui and thinking that we could have a stadium there. But is there another site that we're currently uh, sort of in negotiations with over a price? And he's now come out and named a different site to sort of make those negotiations go in our favour a little bit or something. Maybe it's all a negotiating tactic with another site because, um, yeah, it just seems really odd to me. So... um, you know, he usually hides behind these NDAs and uh, you know confidentiality. How many times have we heard him say the word confidentiality since he's been in charge? But <laughs> so for him to yeah to come out and say that was interesting. I thought. I mean, we could we could sit and speculate about this one all night long, but the fact is, we just haven't got too much information about it yet. But it's certainly one that we're going to no doubt speak about on a weekly basis, um, be that on air or off air. Um, that very much leads us into a question that was sent in by Mike. Um, yeah. And his question is, how long do you think it will take us to get championship ready? And by that, he means infrastructure and players, etc. Um, obviously, a new stadium being vital to that. I mean, it's, it's a difficult question, really, isn't it? It's sort of how long is a piece of string type question, because... Uh, Obviously, at the MEM, we're never going to be championship ready in terms of infrastructure. So the question's basically asking, how long do you think it'll be until we get a new ground? I mean, essentially, because Mm -hmm. until we get a new ground, we're not going to get the players that would get us up to that level anyway, unless we have a freakishly good surprise season at some point, like sort of Shrewsbury had last season. So, uh, I mean, it's really difficult to say. While saying that he hopes we'll be in a new new stadium at the fruit markets like in two years, isn't he? Which um, I mean, that seems lo- even if that all went smoothly, that seems like a ludicrous timeline to me. But um, I would love to think that within the next maybe f- five years we could be in a new stadium. Um, and I don't know whether Mike's also referring possibly to the training ground as well there. Uh, and if he is, then that all seems, uh, I don't know, a bit a bit weird to me because that's obviously 
we bought some land for that. Nothing's happened there while saying that whatever happens with a potential new stadium isn't linked to the training ground, but yet the training ground has been untouched and is growing weeds and has been for the last 18 months or so that we've owned it. So, um, I mean, it's really, really difficult to say. What do you think about this one? I think you're right. It is essentially asking when is the stadium going to be ready? Because in order for us to be championship ready, we need to be in a new stadium better facilities, a training ground, and able to start to grow our commercial side. And that can never happen at this stadium. Albeit Tom Gorringe, I do want to quickly say, I think he's doing quite a good job um, in the situation that we are. Um, I think two years is an unrealistic target. Um, But I am glad that they're setting themselves that target. I'd rather that than than 10 years. Um, I think five years would be a realistic goal. But I wouldn't necessarily say the second the stadium is built, then you're championship ready. You know, I think I think you need to bed in um, and kind of develop there. Um, I certainly expect us to be in League One when that stadium is built. If we're not in League One, I say when the stadium is built, when it hopefully, <laughs> when it, let's assume that that is the goal. So five years time, I'd like to think we'll be at least in League One, and we'll either be in a stadium or definitely be moving to a stadium soon. And um, and I think then you're looking at two to three years in that division to slowly build the quality and, you know, get a, a decent youth set up and start to kind of put in the foundations of a championship club. Um, mm. And I don't know. It's not that easy, you know. Um, there's certainly a lot of twists and turns. But I think Rotherham's probably quite a good example of a team that moved to a new stadium and immediately exploded into the correct area although didn't they just come down so maybe not. i think um i think brighton did the same when they moved from the with dean to uh the amex that they're in now i think they as they were building it they went up and then they started the new season in a higher division in their new ground but i mean that in a way that seems quite fortuitous like you obviously can't plan for that to happen so perfectly it just you know it could happen but you'd be very fortunate for it to happen mm-hmm. and i think you know, even though that wasn't that long ago that Brighton did that, I, I think football has moved on a lot since then in terms of the finances that's required, uh, wages, etc. at our level. Um, to be able to have a crack at getting up to the championship, I think now requires a lot more cash than it used to, probably. Um, so, I, I mean, I realistically can't see, while we're at the Mem, us ever being able to attract good enough players to you know make that sort of push because as soon as we get one or two good ones you know that's great like Bowden and Taylor and you know Ellis was coming through but then you know you lose them don't you because we we can't realistically hold on to those for long enough to then find another two or three and another two or three and then you have a great 11 but you know we don't get to that stage because we can't hold on to these players so until we have a new ground that that isn't going to be the case. So, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question, but it's nice to be dreaming of looking up the table rather than looking down. Mm-hmm. And I think even just hearing a rumour of something like a stadium kind of makes, gives the fan base a little bit of a lift, albeit, you know, with a, tint of, a tinge of negativity given past endeavours. But um, you can kind of, you can just tell from social media and stuff that everyone is getting the hopes up and you kind of yeah. hope that this one isn't going to be too quiet for a long time. You want to hear more. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's stop dreaming for a second and go back to 
the modern day realities of our players. So Yasin Gas has sent a question in uh, and he says, is it time to cut our losses on Bennett and Nichols and admit it hasn't worked and is probably never going to work? I mean, you tell me to stop dreaming for a second, then you force me into a nightmare. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's um, extreme to the other end of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of Bennett or Nichols, and I really haven't been from the start. I mean, I focus on Bennett to start with. Um, I think even when he first came in, and he scored a few when he first came in, I think he kind of flattered to deceive. Um, he's got some pace, but he's insanely weak. And occasionally he shows flashes of skill. But, I mean, everyone does. Sam Matthews showed a lot of flashes of skill when he first came in. Um, All of Carl Bennett's goals in that season were some miraculous uh, scuffs, to say the least. I mean, they all count. They all count if they hit the back of the net. But they weren't exactly hit with conviction. Um, So I'm not a fan of him. And personally, I would move him on. Uh, and give up on that project. But Graham's obviously seen something in training. He wants to stay. I mean, if Swindon make an even reasonable offer, then I would take it. Um, Tom Nichols, I also gave up on him long ago. I I get that he sets some goals up, gets some assists, but it's not hard to sign a player with creativity. I think the other players we've brought in will also be able to offer that, uh, will be cheaper. And I just, I can't, I can't get behind it anymore. It is a failed project. The question very clearly said, have you basically giving up? Uh, I am giving up. And I think realistically, if it was easy to move them both on, then we would because the finances are going to be holding us back from signing others. Um, what about you? What do you think? Uh, I... I, I mean, I largely agree with your viewpoint on both the players, I think. I think my answer to, you know, this specific question, is it time to give up on them, essentially? Uh, I would say no, but purely because of what you just said then in terms of, you know, I don't think now is the right time to try and move them on because that then means, you know, bringing in replacements. And I think even if we say we keep Bennett and Nichols, I still think we need two, ideally three more attacking type players added to this squad to strengthen it. I don't I don't think the squad is particularly strengthened by losing those two and replacing them. Yeah, okay, the replacements would hopefully be better, but in terms of the depth of the squad, I still think we'd be looking pretty weak as we are at the moment. So um, I think ideally I'd like to add to what we've got now and... Nichols, Nichols, I I have pretty much given up on him, to be fair. Um, although he did, I was reading earlier, actually, he did get, uh, and I was quite surprised, he got seven assists last season, which uh, I, yeah, isn't pulling up any trees for a striker, I get that, especially added to the zero goals part. But seven assists in a terrible team, which neither scored nor created many chances, isn't bad. Uh, I I still think there's a player there to work with and I think that when Nichols does eventually leave us and go to another club I think he'll actually return to his sort of Exeter form that he had that made him quite a promising young player back in the day and I think he'll go on to be a good football league league one, league two striker but he, I don't think that's going to be with us um, 
Bennett, yeah, I agree with what you say about the end product and stuff. I think the only reason I'd be really reluctant to see him leave at the moment is because I think he offers something a little bit different. I think we have quite a few sort of samey players in the midfield who offer very similar things, whereas I think Bennett's really the only sort of player we've got in the squad who can drop a shoulder and go past a man and play a sort of cute little ball through the defence or something. I don't think we really have too many of those. I'd say maybe Tomlinson, from what I saw in pre-season, uh, offers a little bit of that as well. So I'd like to see a bit more of him in um, in league games because I think he can offer something different. But other than him and Bennett, I don't think we really have that sort of player. So uh, I wouldn't want to get rid of him now, but I also wouldn't exactly cry if, say, Swindon came in with a good offer and we let him go. And then, you know, GC could reinvest that money in a couple of replacements. I think that would also be fine, really. So, uh, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. I think it's, uh, it's, it's one that Nichols is always divided, in particular Nichols, is always divided opinions. And I think, for me, you know, it's been too long and I just don't think... I don't think it will work here. I don't think it matters how good a player he is anymore. I don't think he can ever get over what, what has happened here and the confidence just isn't going to return. Um, I think it's also, with Nichols, it's also the fact that it's now two managers here who haven't been able to get any goals out of him. You know, part of me kind of thought um, when it was just Daryl that, you know, maybe for some for whatever reason, just Daryl's football, Daryl's style of play, the systems Daryl plays doesn't suit Nichols. So, you know, maybe if we had a different manager, Nichols would start scoring again. Obviously, GC's now been here for uh, what is it, six months or so. Last, if you take last season and the start of this season into account, and you know, nothing's really changed, so that probably says it all, I guess. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, I mean, you mentioned Carl Bennett and the fact that he offers something different in midfield. Um, another player, Circum. I mean, he used to he used to stand out in midfield and he used to really offer, well, just a lot of goals, um, but not quite for about a year. Um, we've had a question from Jacob Hicks, who asks, in what position and formation do you think Circum is at his strongest and should we keep giving him chances to change his form? Um, I mean, I think we're not going to have much of a choice other than to give him some more chances to change his form because he's an attacking type midfielder and we don't really have many of those. So uh, I think we're going to have to keep playing him or at least play him every now and then because otherwise we're just going to be playing Clark Ups and a go-go in midfield and there's not a lot of excitement in those three to be honest if they're on the pitch together in my eyes um so I think yeah I think we are going to have to keep giving them chances but to be honest I would love to be able to rewind the clock to the start of this window and to have seen GC get rid of Circum and had two or three months to replace him before the start of this season because um I think he's been he's not just been poor he's been he's been terrible Uh, in the last like you said the last 12 I'd argue possibly even 18 months I think Circum's just been abysmal in probably 90% of the games he's played Uh, and you know the question asked about position and formation um, 
I don't really know where where he'd be strongest because he's been tried on the left in a four four two, sort of cutting in. Uh, he's been tried behind a, a sole striker in a four four one one. He's been tried behind two strikers at the tip of a diamond, and I really can't remember a good performance from him uh, in that whole time. So I would. I mean, logic to me would say that he's probably best behind a front two so that he has a couple of central midfielders behind him as well who can sort of do the defensive work uh, and for that not to be too much of a pressure on him to have to get back and he can just concentrate on providing for the front two. But uh, he's been played there plenty of times and that doesn't happen. So... um, He's a real enigma to me because in his first season here, uh, he was absolutely excellent. He scored, I think it was over 10 goals, got quite a few assists. He was taking our free kicks and our corners and he was just a really, really good player and someone who I thought we could build around at this level. But he looks an absolute shadow of that for a long time now. What do you think about Serkumha? I think the words that strike me are over-engineering. I think like since... He came in and he played in centre midfield and he was kind of box to box and Oxford fans that did rate him. I mean, there were, there were mixed reviews, but the ones that did rate him said he had a really good engine. Um, and that's what would stand out to me was he he basically played in that midfield too and he bossed the whole midfield. He was getting back and he was bombing forward and he was arriving on the edge of the box at the right time to stick it in the net. Um, and I've said before on the podcast that I think, I think it was since... Daryl started messing around with his position that his form went massively backwards. Um, We started farming him out on the left flank, which was baffling and really frustrating for me. It must have been frustrating for him also. Um, He finds himself more centrally now, but I I get what you say about the kind of playing him in centre attack in midfield thing. He scored goals, he got some assists, so why wouldn't he fit there? I just think that it weakens him so much because... He was much better as a kind of box-to-box engine midfielder that sits deep and arrives on the edge of the box and, as a result, isn't marked. And they can't mark him because he's running into space. And he did that really well. Um, Whereas when he's already pushed forward, I don't think he has the same effect. Um, That said, it has been a while since I first said that as his defence. And um, I think he's probably found himself in a box-to-box role and he hasn't been pulling it off uh, which really disappoints me because I, I was a huge Sergeant fan um, I don't know where you go with it I mean it concerns me f- from the management point of view and just an all around the club point of view really if a player dives in quality this much at the club he he's clearly a talented footballer He's not hitting his shots anywhere near as well as he was before. And just little things are going wrong. People say disinterested, but I, I really struggle to buy the disinterested thing in a footballer. I mean, he, he is originally from this like southwest area. There's not many clubs that he can go to after this. He's in an important part of his career. He's not going to want to be bombed out. So why would he be disinterested? It's like, I don't, I don't mm. understand that. Um, I haven't completely given up on him and you know that there's a, te- there's a player there with the technical ability so 
surely you've got to stick at that. I think um, I think an issue I have with him is that um, even at his best, like he was in his first season, he's a very very uh, particular type of midfielder because he he's got the the technical ability to be quite a creative player, but he's not actually that creative. That like I I don't know his stats from Oxford and stuff, but. He he's never struck me as a player who's got a lot of assists. He's he's a goal scoring midfielder. He at his best he reminded me of sort of a a Lampard getting on you know coming into the box late and getting on the end of crosses, um, scoring long range efforts. So he's a goal scoring midfielder, and unless he's offering goals, he, he I don't really think he offers a lot to the team overall. Because uh, defensively, he doesn't really do much. He's not great at tackling or doing the defensive side of his game. And I think we're a side that's crying out for a creative player in the middle. And I don't think that's him. So I think even say he did get back to his best, which at the moment looks a long way off. I still don't think that him getting back to his best would actually remove the need for us to get in a, a midfielder who maybe is a bit more creative on the ball um, because, yeah, I don't think that's what he is. So in a way, I sort of see him as a little bit of a luxury player, but he's a luxury that you can accommodate when he's hitting 10 plus goals a season from centre midfield. And when he's not, he's it's very difficult to justify him being in a team, I think. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to Sharpie's question. Uh, and he says, do you guys think that the team slash squad we have at the start of this season is overall better or worse than the one we had at the start of last season? That's a really tricky question, isn't it? It's especially difficult when you haven't got a picture of each squad in front of you like they do on Sky Sports. I almost feel like our uh, lack of professionalism that would have showing been a good up here. Preparation. <laughs> 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 um I mean, I think it comes down to balance in the squad. Um, I would be concerned in that we're very unbalanced uh, and we were last season. I think it's pretty level, really. It's pretty level. Um, I think even just having Johnson, Clark, Harris up front kind of makes this squad win. Uh, assuming we don't lose him, which would be devastating. Um, from an excitement point of view, we've got some players that seem like good signings, but it's hard to judge because people like Davies in defence look like good signings compared to Lockyer, but we haven't seen too much of him to judge. Um, I think we need some we need some business done still, um, and we could potentially have a better squad than last season. What about you? Yeah, I'd say potentially is probably the key word there because it's still way too early to judge uh, pretty much all of our new signings but um, my I guess my gut feeling is that we're probably probably either not much in it or this one's slightly weaker I would say to be honest because um, we lost Bonham who's proved to be uh, who proved to be a very, very good keeper for us anyway. You know, I know he wasn't particularly rated before he came to us, but for us, he was excellent. Um, and 
Yakola, our replacement, has made one appearance and punched a bloke in the face and gave away a penalty. So he's not made the best first impression on me, to be honest. But uh, And then you look at Davies, who you say, compared to Lockyer, looks like a good signing. But, I mean, the bloke's, what is he, 27 or so, 27, 28. And compared to Lockyer, he's made about a third of the Football League appearances that Lockyer has. And... That kind of says something to me. I think that he's reached that age and barely played any football league games compared to Lockyer, who is a Welsh international and you know was our captain. I think I think Lockyer was probably a much bigger loss than uh, a lot of fans, me included, realised really at the time. Uh, and it that kind of seems to be the way really that we we think oh you know we can move him on and replace with better I'd use Lee Brown as an example and it often ends up being the case that we really struggle to replace those players with anyone better or even at the same level um, I would say in the midfield central midfield I mean you have to say we're weaker because regardless of how much or how little they were used. We've lost Lines and Sinclair and brought in no central midfielders at all. So, you know, that has to be weaker. Um, up front, who went out? Jakubiak went out and Smith and Adebayejo's come in. I mean, it's really, it is really difficult to say because we didn't see too much of Jakubiak, but when he did play, he didn't score too many goals. I think he scored two goals in one game away at Oxford. Good goals, though, they were. Um, uh, we we just haven't seen an, enough of the two new loanies to compare them to him, really. So I mean, potentially up front we are stronger, and like you said, we've got JCH for hopefully a full season now, rather than just the second half of it, which is definitely a plus point in the current squad. But I would definitely like to see probably two or three more additions come in between now and the end of the window before I could comfortably say yeah, this squad is stronger because I think at the moment it's pretty close, if not a little bit weaker, to be honest. Well, you've basically just invited me to point the next question at you, which is from uh, Dan Ball, um, who asks, which positions do you feel we need to strengthen in before the transfer window shuts? So ideally, I think we need three more. And I would like to see a centre-back come in, uh, preferably left-footed, because we've got Kilgore and Davies who are right-footed, and at the moment we've only got Craig who's left-footed. Uh, I would like to see a left-footed centre-back, but I would like him to have a bit of pace, because I think we are really, really lacking pace at the back. And, um, you know, GC talks in pre-season about wanting to play a high-pressing game and all this sort of stuff, and it, that would just be absolute football suicide, to be honest. With our current defenders, you cannot play a high line with Craig and Davies at the back because any striker with a bit of pace is just going to absolutely rip you apart, as apparently uh, Kai Kai did for Blackpool against us, who's a really quick sort of attacking player they, they've got in. And um, he gave us all sorts of problems from what people were saying who went to the game because of his pace against our lack of it at the back. So... Yeah, I'd like to see a left-footed centre-back come in. Uh, I would like to see a winger come in, um, probably left-sided to give Bennett a bit of competition slash take his place. And I would also like to see a creative midfielder come in, sort of a cam slash just a general central midfielder who's just got a little bit 
of something about him which our others don't. Uh, you know, can spot a pass, pick a pass, uh, and just generally has a little bit of finesse on the ball, whereas our others are a bit sort of hard workers rather than uh, offering anything particularly um, special on the ball, I would say. What about you? I mean, I, I agree on the centre attack and midfielder. I think that we need that flair player. Um, I hate using the word flair, but we're going to go with it. Um, that low centre of gravity, Messi-esque player is what I'm after. It's not asking for much, is it? Um, <laughs> but no, the, the thing that you said about Tomlinson's correct. I think that kind of player, you know, um, mm. small, agile, get about the pitch, knock a dinky little ball through. Uh, everything that you kind of are tempted to believe that Carl Bennett could be, but he isn't. Um, at least not in my opinion. Um, so yeah, a flair player to make things happen. A bit of a luxury player, really. Um, what you're hoping that Circum could be. Um, a left winger, because I don't think Carl Bennett is good enough. Um, I th- I'm, we lack width, big time. Um, I don't see Carl Bennett as a player that gets down the wing. He definitely comes inside. And mm. I think we need someone... I'm I'm really happy with Rodman on, on the right side, to be honest. I think Rodman could be a big player for us this season. And I think we need someone on the left as well. Um, I guess you could argue that we're going to push up the wing-backs with Leahy, who's clearly an attacking fullback and gets the ball in the box. Um, but again, I just don't I don't think Carl Bennett is, is the answer. So without wanting to launch a scathing attack on Carl Bennett alone... Um, <laughs> A left winger would be good. And my, for my third player, I'm not going to go with centre-back because I really want to see some of our young players at centre-back uh, get a chance, even if that turns out to be a mistake. I've, I think that we've, we're stocked with some fairly promising talent there. Um, I think Manesa's going out on loan, um, so maybe not him, but Kilgore, I really want to see him given a chance. He's a gas-ed. You know, he showed himself well in Plymouth away last season and... I mean, he's a gas head. I don't care about his footballing ability. I want him at the back. So uh, <laughs> I don't want to risk any chances for the management to have an excuse not to play them anymore. I just want to see them play, you know. Um, and, yeah, that, there's no real reason around that. I think that's my only reason. Um, I'd like a, I'd like another striker. I know it's not going to happen. Striker that, number seven? Yeah. I mean, that. I know it's not going to happen, but that is what I want. Um, I think... I t- I just don't see... Basically, I would want to swap out Nichols for another striker. Um, Even then, I don't really think we need the two lone lads. I'd probably take one of them and then have another striker. I think it's a bit dodgy taking two young strikers on loan. Um, One was more than enough, uh, just to kind of boost the squad a little bit. Maybe they'll prove to be better than I think, but I just don't... I struggle to get on board with young lone strikers. They just never seem to... They may they'll be a three goal a season striker, you know, and they'll rotate. And I just don't think it will happen. Um, hopefully, I'm proven wrong. Um, so that's what I would strengthen in. But and I do want to add this: um, we received another question um, from Joe, who asks, "Are you guys disappointed that the Liam Scales deal has seemingly collapsed?" Um, and I want to address that straight away because I think I think the reason that has collapsed is because of of the financial situation, which is essentially one in, one out, I think. Um, I think we need to remove salary to, to spend some. And like what you said, Ollie, about wanting to bring in an additional left winger in, you know, alongside Carl Bennett, 
I don't think there's any chance in hell that that can happen. Um, I think it's very much a case of Carl Bennett has to go to Swindon for us to sign another left winger. Um, how do you feel about that situation? Um, I think probably what you say about the, the scales collapse is right in that it's one in, one out. I also think from from reading comments from the uh, from the UCD manager, his current manager, it also sounds like some other clubs have got involved. Uh, I think Portsmouth and Fleetwood have been mentioned, and I think there's a little bit of Scales' agent playing us off against a couple of other clubs to improve his deal is going on as well, and we've been used as sort of a pawn in that. Um, so yeah, that that's all a bit weird to be honest. It started to I thought it started to get a little bit embarrassing for us as a club because uh, it was just rumbling on and rumbling on, and you know this isn't a particularly high profile player on about, and it, it looked like we were struggling to sign this teenager from Ireland essentially, which um, wasn't looking great, but. Am I disappointed that it's collapsed? Uh, I mean, yes and no. Yes, because without obviously never having seen him play, he sounds like the type of centre-back I want in that he's left-footed, he's tall, and he's got a bit of pace, and he's good on the ball. Um, That's how he's been described, and that is pretty much exactly the type of centre-back I would like to see us sign. So from that point of view, yes, I am disappointed, but I'm also not because... You know, A, I have never seen him play, so I have no idea what sort of standard he'd have been at. I imagine the current standard he's playing at is very, very low. You know, you can't see that being anywhere close to League One standard. So who knows really how well he'd have done if he'd come over here. Um, And I also kind of think that our squad is looking a little bit light in experience and scales would have been another one of those players really um, who'd have come in and been another young player sort of learning the game. And I'm not sure that's the type of center back that we need in particularly. So, uh, so yes and no, but I don't think it's one to lose any sleep over really. Although having said that, I was thinking the other day, I never really think it's a good thing when um, your manager doesn't get to sign one of their top targets and from the way that GC has talked about scales it sounds like he's really keen on him and has been for a while and I just don't think it particularly helps with the sort of uh, I guess I would say the harmony really around the club when your manager doesn't get the players that they really want because it sounds like that's already happened quite a few times this window uh, with attacking players you know, GC started the summer talking about one in marquee attackers and we've ended up signing two teenagers on loan, like you were saying earlier. So mm-hmm. I think we've missed our top targets up front. And uh, the way that Coughlin now talks about the window has changed. He now seems a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say annoyed, but like realism has sort of hit home a little bit, maybe, in terms of the sort of players that we can attract here. So I don't think it's good from that point of view. But um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not majorly disappointed to be honest. I mean, I I am disappointed because I like I mean I like it when we don't go down the conventional recruitment route and we kind of go out to Ireland and have a look at those players. I think that's the way you kind of find bargains. Um, and 
Coughlin, Coughlin, in fact, um, yeah, has yeah, actually yeah. Been, he's been in the media saying about how he's been looking over to Ireland. He said that they've got great character over there and, you know, they're, they're fighters and that kind of fits his mould, no doubt. Um, and I think this would have been a nice first import and it's not and it's not happened. I mean, that's disappointing because I think that is the way that we can find bargain players. But, I mean, it's done now, you know. It's, it's worrying from the sense that he can't have been expensive and we must literally have been waiting for one player to leave to get him in potentially um one in one out as i said before um in terms of his impact on the squad i agree with you i don't don't necessarily see how he would have been the right fit for now i just think it would have been a good signing for the future um but let's focus on the now right we have holes to fill and if it's a one in one out then we have higher priorities yeah Uh, absolutely yeah uh, let me ask you this question then by Greg Hammock, mm-hmm. uh, which says the away kit dot 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 is the whole fiasco representative of the state of the club off the pitch or are we all making a fuss over nothing? And then he also says, keep up the good work, fellas, which is nice. So, uh, yeah, the away kit. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, it's frustrating as a supporter. Everyone's really excited about the kit. Um, they always are. I mean, I like to pretend I'm not, but. I've checked every single day to check that it's not gone up. Um, the home kit's lush. What a cracking job that's been. And frankly, I thought last year was a brave choice and, and probably paid off in sales as well. Um, I think kits that are brave usually do pay off because they're different. And how many things can you do with blue and white quarters? Um, the kits, yes, since we went to Macron, they have been quite late. Um, not ideal, but I also think that Tom Gorringe has done better with sponsorship deals than we have done in the past. I mean, we're not flogging it as a raffle prize. We're actually going out and get reputable businesses. Uh, ironically, I say that a mint bet went out of business about two months after going on our show. <laughs> but you know my point. I mean, Football Index was a fantastic one, and our new ones on the home shirt, I can't remember their name. Obviously, the sponsorship's doing a good job. U- um, Utilitya, is it? Utilitya? Yes. I mean, that day, it, it seems like a good coup. Um, and I imagine we're getting paid more than fairly so commercially i think we're doing well um organization wise it does seem a bit a bit tin pot a bit unprofessional doesn't it um but what i will say is the home kit coming late i think it did create a marketing storm and it probably actually has worked in some regard and if the club are intentionally holding back the away kit in order to allow people to receive their paychecks for the month before splashing another 50 pounds on a kit, then, well, I think, I think it might work actually. <laughs> um, if, if the away kit is anything like the standard of the home kit, which is the best one we've had in, I think probably 10 years at least. Um, yeah. I mean, it's all about the quality, right? And if, if sales if sales are showing to be good, then, you can't complain, can you? That's a commercial success. Uh, no, I mean, I think the, um, I think what Greg says about is the whole fiasco representative of the state of the club off the pitch. I can't, I, although I'm not someone who I like to think I'm not someone who just hammers the club uh, needlessly and unnecessarily over over things like this. Uh, I mean, the away kit, the fact that it's not out yet, really doesn't bother me at all, to be honest. But um, I kind of get what he means with that because, you know, you had the pitch which we relayed, but then they used the wrong sand, so then it had <laughs> to be relayed again. And then 
we obviously the big screen and it's taken us over 12 months to put up a steel frame and a big TV in the corner of our grounds. Like teams have knocked down stands and rebuilt it faster than we've managed to put this big screen up. Um, and then you've got this awake it thing, which, you know, could be a fault on Macron's side, potentially, you know, we don't know it could be, but it just, you know, how many times can you be that unlucky club who, you know, works with a company who screws up? It just always seems to be that we're that club who who uh, who has to deal with other company screw-ups. And there, it sort of reaches a point where you think, you know, are we the, are we the cause of these screw-ups rather than everyone who we work with? But, I mean, I really don't know about this away kit. It doesn't bother me, and I think maybe it is a little bit of a fuss about nothing, like Greg says, but um, I can't remember us ever having gone into a season with one of the two kits we're going to be playing in not having been revealed. You know, I think even clubs who are right in the mire at the moment, like Bolton and Berry, I think they've announced both their kits. (laughs) You know, I think um, (laughs) even if they've not... Well, Berry haven't actually played a game yet, but they've still announced their kits. Um, so it, it is a bit weird. Uh, it doesn't, yeah, it, it doesn't particularly look good for us. But like you said, if it comes out and it's an absolute cracker, then people will buy it. And they'd have already bought the home kit because it is immense. So the club would be making a load of money because fans will be buying both kits instead of one. So it could work out quite nicely in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you this one then by Michael Willett, because I know that um, I think you wanted to lead on this one. Uh, so he says, what is your opinion of VAR and why is it absolutely terrible? Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things, isn't it? I I don't like it personally. Um, the whole waiting after the goal goes in to check that it's a legitimate goal kind of kills the kills the limbs i mean imagine if when lee brown stuck that in you had to look for the flag and then wait two minutes for the referee to have a look at his tiny little screen it's a horrible Um, the only thing about it is i do find it quite amusing watching him walk over to this tiny little screen and just zooming it back and forth i mean i don't know why he can't just look up at the massive screen behind the goal i mean let's use some common sense right (laughs) just have a glance for goodness sake um but no, I mean, I don't like it. I think it's it's the classic kind of over-engineering thing. It's a sport. It's supposed to have a few mistakes, but where do you draw the line? I mean, I, I completely get why it's happened. Money is won on football, you know. You kind of need the decisions to be correct. And it's, I mean, I think people like VAR when it's in their favour and um, love to criticise it when it happens to go against them. Um, it's a difficult one it's a really difficult one so I got a few things about VAR really you uh, said that you wanted me to lead but I know that you've got some up your sleeve <laughs> so my, my first thing is that um, I kind of think that people's problems I include me in this by the way I kind of think that people's problems with VAR often from what they say is more of a problem with the rules of the game than it is with VAR because all VAR really is used for is it's used as a tool to you know enforce the laws of the game correctly but very very correctly so if you know you're a toenail offside you're offside um, and I think 
you know, that's not VAR being wrong as such or not being used in the right way, but it's the problem with the law. Um, and it's the same with, um, you know, handballs now in the, in the penalty area. Anything that, any ball that touches the hands, no matter the context of how far away it was, how hard it was hit, where the hand was, blah, 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 is given as handball and a penalty. But, you know, technically that's correct. And that's all VAR is doing is helping the refs uh, enforce the laws properly. But it's, it's a problem with the law. Um, so I think that's one issue. Uh, I also think the other issue is that, in my opinion, uh, it needs to be done on a challenge system. So I think that um, maybe each manager or maybe each captain, uh, I think there's probably an argument to say it could be either of those people on each team. But I think one of those two individuals on each side should have maybe three challenges per game. And like in tennis, I think if you get a challenge wrong, uh, then you lose that challenge. And if you get one right, then you keep that challenge. Um, I think that would maybe be a way of still having VAR, but not having it uh, sort of invading into an entire match because it would only be selected for use when when the two sides decided for that to happen. Um that really is the only way that I think I would properly be on board with it because I agree with what you said. I think it does take a lot of the the passion in a way out of goal celebrations and the spontaneity of, of celebrations is, you know, one of the main things that gets a lot of people into loving going to live football. So to risk that by introducing VAR is, um, you know, could backfire horribly really for the sport in general. So, uh, so yeah, but I mean, I guess a positive is that we are shit and in League One, so it doesn't really affect us. Well, you hope clearly, you hope there won't be any time soon. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, one of the things, sadly, that at the most exciting games that I can remember, I think they've they've been made a lot spicier by a refereeing mistake, or at least something that the fans have believed to be a refereeing mistake, even if they're not. I mean, it's. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I, I don't want the referee to be correct. I want to want to be able to yell things at him and feel like I'm correct. <laughs> is that yeah, a fair I reason? mean, yeah, I think it is. And I think, um, you know, one of the main things that was put forward for VAR was that it would end the debates over, you know, controversial decisions. But if anything, that's just amped up even more than it was before. It's not stopped people debating about penalties and handballs and offsides. It's just shown up that it, it, it highlights when you play anything in a slow motion replay. I think this is another one of my issues with it. Anything slowed down looks so much worse than it does in normal time. You know, any foul, no matter how soft it was, if you slow it down, everything looks deliberate. Everything looks um, just just worse really i don't really have a better word for it than it just looks worse and i don't think that particularly helps i think if referees are going to judge go over to that tiny little screen like you so enjoy and judge these decisions then i think they probably need to do it in real time because it happened in real time and i think viewing things slowed down is just unrealistic and isn't a fair reflection on you know any incident in a game really yeah, 
that's my thoughts on VAR. Well, that was a yeah, it was a proper football discussion there. I mean, I think yeah. the reasons I'm not sure that anyone at the powers may be that B will uh will listen to Gascast, unfortunately, but if only they did. Um, Indeed. I'm feeling like you've added a question to the schedule here, and um, I'm not sure if I'm able to an- ask the question. Uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, I need to ask it. Thank you to Tom for sending this question in. Um, if Harley was a breed of dog, what would he be? I mean... <laughs> I hate how you're saying that as if you've thought about this. I mean, embarrassingly, this is the the one question we were sent in, which I actually did quite a lot of work in or work <laughs> on before we came to record this podcast, because I can hear only... the sound of everyone tuning out of the oh, episode yeah, yeah. as we speak. There are no more listeners now. But <laughs> not only did I, you know, have a little Google around at different images of dogs and then compare your face to them, I actually managed to find an app that you can download on the app store. I appreciate no one will do this because I'm the only one sad enough to do this, but there is an app you can get on the app store called Dog Scanner, and you can upload pictures to that app from your uh, from your phone, and it will then scan your face and tell you which dog you most look like. <laughs> so I have done this with your good self. What? I went onto your Twitter and found a picture of you i'll admit it's not a great picture and i think this may have influenced the dog that you were compared to but i found a picture of you uh you look like you're in a mcdonald's i think and you're leaning back quite a lot and you've got your thumbs up so i assume you know you've just put your order in you're quite happy with what you've gone for and this is the picture i've chosen and it says that you are human but quite similar to a pug. 16.3% similarity to a pug's face, apparently. And if you read the appearance... I'm going to read out what it says the appearance This is a disgusting is. amount of detail. <laughs> I, I've, I've gone all in on this, don't worry. And you can tell me what you think. So, uh, pugs have two distinct shapes for their ears, rose and button. Rose ears are smaller than the standard style of button ears and are folded with the front edge against the side of the head. Pug's legs are strong, straight, of moderate length and are set well... I have no idea what that means. Their shoulders are moderately laid back, their ankles are strong, their feet are small, their toes are well split up and their nails are black. Um, Would you say any of that is representative of your good self? Hopefully not the nails are black bit, otherwise you need to go to a doctor. But no, absolutely not. But I think um I think I've got quite strong ankles. Um yeah. you know, I've, I've, I'm always working out my ankles. So um yeah, I mean I'm looking at a picture of a pug right now and I'm I'm not sure what to say to be honest. Um I've got it, a picture on my phone that has it's the one of you next to the pug, and I'm gonna upload it on the Gascast Twitter because I uh, think people will then see where where this similarity is. Uh <laughs> To make you feel a bit better, I've also done it for myself. Um, because I just got so involved in this app. I literally spent about two hours on this app last night. Uh, so apparently I'm 11.7% similar to a Danish Swedish farm dog. Uh, and I won't read out the whole appearance, but one part of it is that they have a dominant colour with patches of a different colour. And I'm assuming that's because of my 
embarrassingly grey hair at the age of 26. So, yeah, I'd say that's pretty spot on, to be honest. Well, I mean, I th- <sighs> what a way to wrap up the podcast. I think that I think that was the best bit. I think that you deserve thanks for really kind of showing the passion that a guest needs to show. You come yeah. on prepared. You spent ages on an app called Dog Scanner. Um, who, who we'd like to thank as corporate sponsors, by the way. <laughs> um, only <laughs> okay. joking. Only joking. That was a that was a completely voluntary um, advert to them. Um, Dude, I'm happy with being a pug. I think that's that's one of the better ones. Yeah, uh, quite cute to be fair. And I was told that my legs are pretty strong, so you know, happy with that. Every cloud. Um, you'll all be celebrating to know that that's all we've got time for this week. Um, thank you for sending in your questions. Uh, please be sure to fire in more via the form if you have any. As I said earlier, this will be a fortnightly show. I'm sure you're thrilled to hear. And, uh, <laughs> and we hope to hear from many more of you than we did this week. Um, although I'm sure there will be more pug chat next time. Um, just a quick reminder that if you did enjoy this, please, please subscribe to the show via your podcast player of choice, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Uh, or instructions can be found on the website, gascastpodcast.co.uk. If you're a regular listener, please do consider becoming a Patreon. Um, and helping contribute towards our costs. We put a lot of time into the show and your support would be greatly appreciated. Uh, More details can be found on the Patreon link on the website. Um, Thanks to Ollie for joining me. Uh, Thanks for the research around dogs specifically. And uh, up the gas. Up the gas.